you have to develop metrics and ultimately figure out what are the outcomes you're trying to achieve as an organization. So for me, RevOps is you know, the thing that ties the go-to-market function together. It's defining the approach, defining the metrics, being able to measure the success and see what we're doing without a solid RevOps function. It's very difficult to do that because you see the organization start to get siloed. Everyone focuses on their piece of the puzzle and it's hard to see the big picture without a strong RevOps function to support that. Welcome to the OpStars podcast. We host authentic conversations with revenue operations professionals running the show behind the scenes holding things together, doing whatever it takes to innovate to solve problems, build processes, and manage the data to build a modern revenue engine that powers a great buyer experience. I'm your host, Rachel McBrearty. So hello, everyone. I'm Rachel McBrearty, the Chief Customer Officer at Lean Data. Welcome to today's episode. I'm joined by Chris Van Hop. Hey, Chris. Hey, how you doing? Great. Chris is the Director of Revenue Operations at CB Insights. CB Insights fuses machine learning algorithms, data, and visualizations together to help large enterprises ask, answer, and articulate compelling answers to difficult questions about growth, about competition, and about markets and technologies of the future. Chris has a history in sales and operations. And prior to CB Insights, he was Director of Global Revenue Operations for Unifor, Director of Sales Operations for Honor and Next Health, and Senior Analyst of Sales Operations and Pricing at Service Source. So, with his rich experience, we were saying, Chris, you're a veteran of revenue operations. It's going to be super insightful to hear your story and to get your advice on how to build a top notch RevOps team. Um, maybe before we dig into that, give us a little bit of highlights of your career path. What led you yeah. to this role? Looks like you started as um, in sales ops. Is that really where you started? Was that your first first role? Yeah, I actually started in finance, but I think my career path really mirrors the evolution of RevOps over time. Early on in my career, well, first I started working at a big company, you know, Fortune five, well, Fortune fifty, as a financial analyst, and you know, not too exciting. Mostly just like budgets and planning type stuff. But then I was really fortunate to get a job at an early stage SaaS company out of North Carolina called Bronto. They were acquired by NetSuite and unfortunately are no longer around, but that's really where I got my first exposure to RevOps. Although again, it was very much focused on the sales ops element of RevOps at that point. But it really, you know, I think you see this a lot with RevOps is you're, you're coming in from different functions. Like there are very few people, maybe, I think it probably happens more today, but there are very few people who start off their career in RevOps. And with that, because people are coming from different functions, you really see a variety of skills. Like the, the first thing that got me into it was the data aspect. So as a company at Bronto, we really needed to, the, the founders wanted to create a balanced scorecard where it's like, how do we measure the effectiveness of different areas of the organization? And you know, as a financial analyst, they wanted me to kind of handle that. But a lot of that data, you know, I would say 75% of the data was coming out of Salesforce. So it really forced me to really understand how is the data collected, what does the data mean, and start to build that reporting funnel. And I think that was still fair, you know, I, I'm sure it existed historically. I can't really speak to anything pre-2010, but I do think, you know, starting to look at a funnel and like how leads flow through, how you transition them from sales development to the sales team, and then 
you know, at the time it was account management as opposed to customer success. That was really my introduction. And that's where I started to think through like, okay, how do I collect better data? And it's starting to engage with the sales team to talk about the process. Like what are the outputs that we want to see? And then aligning the process to a certain degree to that. So that was kind of the initial taste I got of it, but I really liked how strategic I was like how close it was to the, the strategy of the company, because, you know, with finance, again, you're kind of running budgets. It's important to be frugal or, you know, manage budgets well, but actually impacting sales strategy and thinking about like, who should we sell to or like what's effective and what's not. That was really interesting to me. It just felt like I was finally getting involved in actually running the business as opposed to just being more of a support player. Nothing against finance. It can be very strategic too. And, and, you know, I'm sure as you move on from an entry-level analyst, it gets to be that way. But yeah, I really enjoyed that aspect. And that's kind of what made me decide, hey, I'm going to focus on sales ops. At that point, went back to grad school for a couple of years, focused on operations, and then got a role for a company called Service Source. They were post-IPO. And it was more of a, it was also a pricing role, which was really interesting. I think that's an underrated element of sales strategy or company strategy. And, but it's also can be very tightly aligned to RevOps. Because ultimately, if you're trying to maximize customer lifetime value and sales efficiency, one of the big levers is pricing. So it was really interesting to understand in that environment, like how pricing could be, you know, how I could use that to be more effective in my role in RevOps. And again, it was sales at the time, largely. But you could start to see the contours of adding marketing ops, customer success ops, and that broader spectrum. And then the next step there, Nextel Technologies, super small companies, like 18 people at the time. The CEO really wanted someone who could help build out the sales process. It was just me and the CEO at the time, and he was trying to build out a sales team. So he wanted someone, he recognized the value of having someone who could come in and say, hey, you know, you can put a sales team out there and see what sticks and, you know, maybe run a few numbers, but really starting from the ground up, we want to build this in the right way. And that for me was a good experience just from understanding, you know, even something like writing contracts or prospecting, like I had to get involved in all of those different areas on a very hands-on level. So it was just really a good experience for me to get that full spectrum and really start to become that generalist that I think as you move up and as you become a leader in RevOps, you have to be able to understand so many different elements of running the business that you know, having that early stage generalist type of role can be very beneficial over the long term because you can't be an expert in all things RevOps. Like it's very specialized. There's tons of tools and a lot of different things that you have to focus on. So that's kind of the, the learning phase. I, I mean, it's always a learning phase, but uh, that, that's the point where I started to piece things together to the point where I felt like I could start to take on more of a leadership role. What's interesting in what you just described is the path you took, I think, has led you to the conclusions of what you think is a powerhouse RevOps team thinking through the strategy, connecting the data across the silos and making sure that you can take both the data-driven approach, but also understand how that's in service of trying to achieve what the company is trying to achieve. Right. Tell us, how do you define revenue operations? I, I really see it as a business within a business. 
I think you see a lot of very entrepreneurial people go into RevOps because you have to define processes. You have to develop metrics and ultimately figure out like what are the outcomes you're trying to achieve as an organization. So for me, RevOps is, you know, it's the thing that ties the go-to-market function together. It's defining the approach, defining the metrics, and being able to measure the success and, and see like is what we're doing working. And without a solid RevOps function, it's very difficult to do that because you see the organization start to get siloed. Everyone kind of focuses on their piece of the puzzle and it's hard to see the big picture without a strong RevOps function to support that. I love that perspective. So with your definition, do you you take on thinking about that end-to-end view of the go-to-market, really trying to make sure that you're achieving those revenue goals, right? And growing the company. Then from a depth perspective, do you also think it's important then for the RevOps function, also owning all the tools and technologies across the organization, as well as go-to-market strategies and processes? Yeah. The operations individual who runs Marketo or Gainsight. Yeah. I've seen it a lot of different ways. So if I think through how different organizations handle it, everyone's got a different target market. You know, everyone's got a different sales motion. Just, I shouldn't say that. There's a lot of commonality, you know, medvic, whatever it might be. But at the end of the day, you're still dealing with a unique market. There's going to be some unique aspects. So you really have to be reactive to and understand what your sales motion is, what your marketing motions are, and what the best way to attack your given market is. So first, you really have to define what's your ICP, what's your TAM, like who are the the customers and how do they buy? Because that's really going to determine where you need expertise. So if you look at a very, you know, highly complex, highly complex sale, maybe it involves a lot of services. It's, it's important to understand that because that's going to define your tech stack. That's going to define your sales motion. That's going to define the enablement that has to happen to get the organization aligned. So I, I think you really have to understand that. And then you can start to think through Early on, you want to be a generalist so you can recognize kind of broadly where the gaps. And then as you start to grow, as you start to scale a team and you move from more of a generalist to a specialization model where it's, you know, you're starting to get scalable, you, you do need people, I think, that can come in and be that expert to really focus on the areas that are most critical to your process. Because otherwise, you know, you need someone who can see, again, to kind of see that big picture across the different tech, across the tech stack and to be able to recognize where are the gaps that you need to fill from a specialist perspective, because you're, you're never going to find that unicorn that, you know, knows absolutely everything, can go in, manipulate the systems exactly how you want them, write the code and still, you know, pull the metrics, do the analysis. You're, you're never going to find that person. but you can look for those specialists that are good in those key areas and the rest of it just needs to be good enough to support them and make them effective. And part of it too, is just recognizing what are the, you have to be very opportunistic. If I look at my own team, you know, we pulled a couple of people in from sales development. We pulled people in from the data team and they bring some really key skills that we need to help improve the experience, improve our processes. And like I said, I come from finance, you know, kind of had that data background. And it really is important to have, and now we, you know, we hired a much more technical, technically inclined person 
more recently to help clean up some of the technical debt that had built over time that, you know, again, generalists, with generalists, you'll probably see a lot more technical debt, a lot more, you know, things that maybe aren't built perfectly, which is okay. In the early stages, you want to be nimble. But over time, as you scale, if you really hit that growth as a company, you need those folks who can scale you, you know, scale things because you can't run an organization of 50 or 100 reps without some sort of level of specialization and technical expertise. That makes sense. So tell us the story of how you've built out your team at CB Insights. We'd love to hear more of the details. Where did you start? How have you added roles? What are initiatives that you've taken on in the team? We'd love to hear some of the details of your story. Yeah. So I actually only joined about eight months ago, but in that time, I've already gotten a good sense and we've gone through some iterations. You know, again, it was a very generalist approach in the past where people kind of take projects on an ad hoc basis, you know, based on their interests and what they want to learn. But we've shifted to a rotation model where it's like, okay, you know, we, we still have a lot of young analysts and we've got some more experienced folks on the team. And, you know, we want to get them at those specialized exposures and still that, you know, that broad level of responsibility. You know, I, I think creating some overlap in skills is good. But again, we're kind of at the point of growth where it makes more sense to have you know, a marketing ops focused person, someone focused on the sales development experience, because you really want that point person. If again, if you've got an organization or a team of 30 people that you're supporting, you want to have that point person where someone can be all confident that, hey, they really understand our part of the business and can be those experts. We recently had our sales kickoff and we had a speaker who was one of the authors of the challenger sale. And one of the things he talked about was as salespeople, you have to be, you have to be an advisor. You have to understand your customer's business. And that's where I think some of the specialization comes in. And again, as you're managing a larger and larger organization, you need to understand your customer's business. So it's understanding customer success. Like you want someone focused in that because otherwise it's very hard to tailor solutions to that side of the business if you're not working and really understanding the fundamentals of how they operate. You have a marketing operations lead, a sales operations lead, and a customer success operations lead, and they are aligned to those groups or those leaders? Yep. And fortunately, we're admittedly limited by hiring because it's a very hot market. But at the same time, we're definitely thinking through, like, how do we get people the exposure early in their career? Because, again, I think most RevOps people are pretty entrepreneurial, and they want to continue to learn. So having, you know, six to 12 month rotations where you can learn a lot about a specific area of RevOps in that amount of time. And you still get that continuity within the business because those resources are still within the team, but it's good to kind of have the opportunity for those analysts early in their career to be able to rotate through and really develop the skills across the business so that they can too become RevOps leaders. Oh, that's really smart. So they get to get to play different positions on the team and, and learn the, the breadth of the go-to-market needs or functions. Yeah. And obviously rotational programs are nothing new. And, and that's one of the broader themes, how to be successful in RevOps is as you look to other areas of the business for expertise, you don't have to reinvent everything. You know, even though RevOps, you know, we think about it as a new function, a lot of the stuff we do is not new. You know, we, we manage products. You know, product management has been around a long time. We have to sell the value of our solutions. We have to understand sales. 
you know, those are all things that have been done for a long time. So for me, anytime I can look for expertise outside the world of RevOps, I, I see that as a unique learning opportunity. Again, not reinvent the wheel or think that, you know, everything we're doing is completely new or fresh. Tell me more about the roles in your team. Yep. So right now we've got a total team of eight in RevOps and we've got it split between the prospect ops. So it's marketing ops, sales ops, as well as like technical and systems ownership. And then we've got a customer success ops team who manages, you know, as you'd imagine, the customer success software. And we support an organization. I I think we're approaching 400 people as a company. And I would say between our sales, account executives, sales development, customer success, you know, we're probably looking at about 120 customer facing people in the organization that we support. Excellent. What are the, you know, you say you've got sort of the three areas of marketing, sales, and customer success. What do you consider other essential roles for your organ team right now? As you evolve, you're going to need more specialization yep. as the company grows. But for now, based on your company size and where you're, what's really key for you? So, one key role that we recently hired and where we were very happy to bring a strong performer on board was a technical Salesforce architect. So, in the past, you know, again, we've gone through many, I don't know how many or RevOps folks we've had since the founding of the company, but it's been quite a few have had their hands in the pie as far as like Salesforce administration goes. So, in the past, it was very much like an all hands on deck, like, hey, we need an update. Someone goes and makes it in production. And we built up quite a bit of technical debt over time. And that's understandable. Again, I think as you look at the resources you have and you start to invest more in RevOps, but now, you know, I think that technical architect, you know, when, when you're looking for opportunities to automate and scale, you need that person who really understands the fundamentals of how to build a system that's scalable, can get rid of those process builders and reduce the errors that get kicked out and, you know, make sure validation rules are talking to each other so that, you know, you don't have... 50 salespeople asking, why can't I close my opportunity? So that was one big piece of the puzzle for us. And then as I kind of look toward FY22, data is, you know, we're continuing to gather more and more data. And as you start to think through, what are the analysis analyses we need to do? It can be hard to kind of pick out the signal from the noise when it comes to, you know, RevOps data. And I'm as guilty of it as everyone of just saying, here's kind of the conclusion I think, and I can find data to fit that conclusion. But we want someone with a lot more analytical rigor, someone you'd think more of like as a data scientist, because that person, as you scale, can become that much more valuable. They can create that leverage that, you know, we can build you know, what we think are really good account scoring models or lead scoring models, but even small improvements in those, in scoring, in the analysis can lead to pretty significant changes in how the organization performs. And again, as you move towards specialization, you know, that's the type of role where starting to have that expertise on the team and in-house as opposed to, you know, relying on an outside data science team can be really valuable. And even just structuring large data sets. We, we pull in so much data now, it's really hard to keep track of it. And having someone who can structure it in a way that's manageable is a really critical role. So those were kind of the two that immediately jump out for me as specialized roles that you start to need as you grow 
you move past the point where humans alone can hold the processes together or build things manually. Right? You gotta yeah. have automation. And then I agree, like once you can get to the point where you can have somebody analyzing that data for insights to see what's working and not working, because it's not always easy to tell without looking through the the analysis of, of some of those results or fine-tuning those steps. Yeah, and yeah, we've gotten to the point where Google Sheets breaks when we try to do too much analysis. And I, you know, I consider myself pretty good in Google Sheets, but if, if my Google Sheet can't crunch the numbers, then uh, I get into trouble because then I can't do my analysis that I want to do. So that's where you need that data person who understands how you structure large data sets. So when you're meeting with your team to do analysis of the areas they're responsible for, what are you looking at? What are you asking them to evaluate or report into on? Is it a weekly or quarterly basis that you check in? Well, we, we publish a weekly funnel health report as well as monthly and quarterly versions, annual versions, you know, the, the standard reporting cadence that you'd expect of, you know, from a funnel report. But th- there's always the anchor numbers that you're going to look back to consistently. Close one, average deal size, close rates, MQL to sales qualified lead or opportunity. Those are generally going to be the starting point for any review of the data. And then right now, it's largely looking at trending and just understanding like how does this compare to our goals? How does it compare to last week? But where I've really, you know, at least in my past experience, had the most success is when I can start to look at things that look off and be like, hey, let's just dig into that a little bit. And let's, you know, the things that a lead, you know, an executive or a sales leader, they're not going to have time to dig into. Like they'll look at the funnel health report. They might call something out, but at the end of the day, user or ops person have to be the one who understands, hey, what what looks strange here? Like what are the you know, it could be positive deviance, could be negative deviance, but like what stands out that we can potentially learn from? Those are the times when I, you know, when I've just spotted something kind of in the data that's led me to a much more in-depth analysis. You know, one was an example was like a customer retention analysis, just looking at customer lifetime value and being able to see over time how that changed and where the drop-offs were of when we renew contracts, like you could clearly see where customers no longer felt like they were getting additional value and we were losing value in our contracts because of that. Like there was a very clear indicator when I kind of looked into that. And, you know, that was the thing that really resonated with, with our VP of customer success in that role. Or for example, you know, post COVID, there was of course tons of weird things happening with the data. And at the time I had worked at Honor, and what I started to look at was where were the high performers and where were the low performers? Once you kind of split it out and you could start to group based on high and low performance by quartiles, it started to stand out as like, oh, I see what the common characteristics are here that are causing this divergent success. That's when RevOps really gets a seat at the table when they can point to that and say, don't just look at one funnel number. Like it's not all the same. You've got lots of little funnels within that bigger funnel that if you really break it down and can understand it, and you can really identify things that have a meaningful impact on the business. And executives will recognize that very quickly. It's like, oh, wow, 
you know, you, they have those aha moments when they see that stuff. And it's, it's, it's a pretty cool experience as a, as a RevOps person to, to see the, how it can resonate. If you find those hot spots like you uncovered in the, the retention data, you go then partner with that business leader to yep. maybe further identify the opportunity or problem to be solved. You then work with your, say, CSOps lead to put some things in place to yep. address it. Is that kind of how your process flows? Yeah, yeah. I mean, basically what happened was, yeah, it, we took the analysis to the VP of customer success and, you know, showed where that drop off was. And then the team's able to kind of brainstorm. It's like, okay, you know, why do we stop delivering value at that point? And then what can we do to get ahead of that? So we know that we're continuing to deliver that value and can maintain those contracts or even grow them because, you know, we see that opportunity ahead of time instead of being reactive, like, oh, why is everyone churning? Well, Here's here's why. So it's a, it's a good collaboration then with the business. That's an important component, it sounds like, for you and your team. Yeah. I, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, you can only glean so much from numbers. And at some point, you have to go and talk to the people that are on the ground running the business. Like, you, sometimes you can get a, a false signal. It's like, yeah, something weird's happening here. Eh, that's just, sometimes you're going to get weird signals in data. Like, there's always going to be outliers or 99th percentile issues that you can run into, but you have to often validate that with the person, you know, with the people live on the ground, because they'll, again, they might have that aha, be like, oh, wow, yeah, no, that actually makes a lot of sense, because, you know, X, Y, Z reasons, and then they know what to kind of do to fix it, basically. That makes sense. So monitoring the business metrics and collaborating with the business owners to make those improvements, monitor that you've addressed those issues, or improve those trajectories. Yep. I guess I didn't ask you up front, who do you report to? So we actually have a VP of RevOps. And it was, yeah, it was kind of funny. Um, I was talking with my team today about, yeah, we don't have, you know, a lot of old hands in, in RevOps. So, but you're continuing to see this evolution where RevOps, you know, it's continuing to become a more senior role in organizations. One, I think because of the complexity involved, like people recognize the value of coordinating all this stuff and it doesn't always fit neatly you know RevOps I've reported to CFOs I've reported to VP of sales I've reported to you know COOs and you're starting to see RevOps kind of carve out its its own executive position more and more because people realize that you know you can't have that siloed person who's just working under one function and still try to manage the entire go-to-market function. Like you, you need that leadership at a VP level, at a C level, you know, who's answerable to the CEO because again, you're a business within a business. It, if, if you just silo it into one area of the business, you're not going to get the full value of RevOps. 100% I can see that you become, you'll, you get, you get aligned to the organization that you live in because you, yep. you kind of go after the metrics that are going to be key for that leader. So you sort of need a third party to look across the, that go-to-market. So your VP of Revenue Operations reports into the CEO? Uh, he reports to the COO. The COO essentially manages the go-to-market function at CB Insights. So it is very similar. Got it, got it. Okay, helpful. I know it seems obvious, but there's not many organizations that have this structure set up in this way. So the your insights of, of what you've, you've built out are super helpful. Yeah, and I, I would just add, 
I, I think from a team development perspective too, I've had some really strong leaders, you know, whether the CFO or VP of sales who've taught me a ton about how to operate a business. And I think that's partially a function of working at smaller early stage companies. But from like a team development, like an analyst just learning the business, I think it is helpful to have that experienced leadership to help guide them early in their career to help them understand. You know, again, it took me a long time to really understand like how powerful sales ops was, rev ops. And that came through a lot of hard won experience. But having that person who can kind of be that guide and really show you, here's how I've experienced this in the past, like as a RevOps leader. Hopefully my team feels the same way. That, that's, that's very valuable. That makes sense. I want to come back to a comment you made early on about really understanding the business and aligning to the business strategies and goals. How do you keep up with that in your role? How do you stay connected to the core business strategy and make sure that you're helping the company to change, grow? We all are living through rapidly yep. changing business environments. So, you know, how do you stay up to date on that? To me, I think, again, it, there's, there's always this risk as a RevOps function that you become a service bureau and that it's like, hey, we just keep the, you know, we keep Salesforce running. We, we do as we're told, you know, build it out this way. Just let us manage that. But, you know, if, again, if you go back to being a successful salesperson, if you can show that you're adding value in your opinion, you know, that you understand the business, you'll get more information about the business from the business. Like people will go to you and say, hey, here's the problem we're trying to solve. Or if you proactively, again, are, are surfacing those problems, then it's a lot easier to stay in touch with the business because they're going to pull you into those conversations. They're going to keep you aligned because you're making the effort to provide value and you're becoming that trusted advisor and that they know that if they go to you, it's like, hey, they're going to bring solutions that we wouldn't otherwise identify. So to me, and, and, and again, you have, as RevOps, you have some of the best access in the company to the company's data. Like no one, ha very few people, I think, if any functions have as much data available to them as RevOps. And that's really powerful. Like if that's why it's really critical again to just be able to look at numbers and be able to understand like hey what what does this mean what does this mean for the business and to be able to tell the story around that to your business leaders again that's where they see the value from the function and that's when it becomes more than a service bureau tell a story how important is storytelling you know whether we want to think so or not and most people come to a conclusion and then get the data to the conclusion that they want so being able to tell a compelling story and explain how it's going to benefit the person you're working with, super critical. If you're just throwing features and functions at people and just saying, hey, look at this cool toy, you know, you're going to get brushed off because they're going to be like, yeah, you've told me like 15 different things that I could use that are really cool, but I don't see the value. Like what, what's the pain point that we're trying to solve? How is this going to help me hit my number or exceed it dramatically? So that's kind of the story you have to tell. You have to be very specific. You have to be able to show like, hey, this is why I think this is important and be able to challenge this, you know, the people you're working with to really see the value and, and ask them tough questions. Like, yeah, most people say, yeah, I'm doing fine. You know, I'm, you know, I'm hitting 90% of my number. I'm doing fine. And you have to be, you have to build a relationship so they trust you and that, you know, they will listen when you say, hey, I've got something compelling here. 
and you can tie it to an actual pain point as opposed to just saying, well, this is what my vendor told me that could do. So you should go use this. I liked what you said about sort of your, your team's approach into the business. You either, you might find something that is an opportunity for improvement, but you bring to that business leader, frame the, maybe the problem to be solved, work with them to solve it. And then the others, they might come to you. They could come to you just asking for to do something, but turning almost turning that around, asking about the problem to be solved, working together to figure it out. So it sounds like always kind of centering around what is it we're trying to achieve to make sure you're collaborating to achieve that. That keeps you from being a service bureau. It keeps you in touch with the business. Going back to that presentation we had at our sales kickoff with the, the author, one of the authors of the Challenger Sale, yeah, the most successful reps have that challenger perspective of they're okay building constructive tension. They're not afraid to ask tough questions like, hey, you know, is this really as good as it could be? Like, no, not, you're not nitpicking their business or anything. Like you want to be helpful, but yeah, being willing to maybe be a little, a little uncomfortable and, and ask tough questions sometimes. But yeah, you, again, you have to be careful about, you know, you don't just criticize, but you try to bring value and say, hey, I think I've got some ideas how we could address this. Revenue operations, kind of organization that you have built at CB Insights, where you've got that VP of revenue operations into the CCO, you're working across the go-to-market. Do you think this is the future? Is this where everybody's going to go? Or is this a fad and it's not going to be sustainable? Should everybody get behind this? Because there's, you know, different points of view here, Chris. I'm just curious, like, what you think? Is this a fad or is it here to stay? Well, I, I mean, I think you can just look at the proliferation of the amount of investment and proliferation of tools. You know, one of the things that our CEO is calling attention to, you know, recently is, is IT isn't really the buying center for a lot of tech anymore. And a lot of that stuff has moved from IT and migrated to RevOps. Because and you just look at the the RevOps tech landscape now, and just look at the number of tools and like there's clearly investment here and there's clearly people who see value in that. I don't know how any any scenario it, how that would reverse because you know it, to be competitive, you know you need to optimize your sales process. You need to be efficient and you know yeah you can grow and throw money at the problems. But eventually, you have to figure out how to grow efficiently because otherwise your business will, will die. If you, if, if you just need to spend more to make more constantly without making things more efficient, like that's not sustainable. That's not scalable. And you really need an expert in the RevOps area to, to help support that because it is, it's only becoming more complex and you need someone who can make it simple. I love that. Makes sense. The tech stack slides alone those massive logo slides people build. Um, it's, it's scary. It is. It is. So what are the top three things you think are super important to building a top-notch revenue operations team? So I think the top three things is, as you think through, like, how do you build a RevOps team? One is you need a lot of self-motivated, curious people. Even though, you know, Salesforce has probably been around, what, 20 years? And again, it is still pretty new function. Like it is something that a lot of organizations have not learned how to do well yet. And you got to have, you got to be looking for people who want to improve things, like are looking for ways to make things easier. 
just having skill sets and just like, hey, I know Salesforce. Like that to me isn't enough because that's not going to set apart your organization from, from anyone else. Two is an emphasis on minimum viable products, being nimble. Because again, with the complexity, there's always this temptation to really just go all out and be like, oh yeah, this is this tool is going to solve all our problems. Like we're going to set the world on fire by implementing this tool. And if, if you don't like take a test and learn approach and really just figure out what are the essentials of what you're trying to do, because to me, I, I think that's where RevOps tends to go the most wrong when we're trying to scale is we just add complexity instead of reducing it. So that MVP approach. And then thirdly, it's, it's relationship building. Sometimes, you know, if, if you've got folks who, again, aren't necessarily, shouldn't use engineers as an example, but sometimes, you know, you get this, you get a little bit of like, hey, you know, people who don't want to necessarily deal with customers. But if you want to be effective in RevOps, you have to have a customer first mentality and you have to be willing to build those relationships because that's how you get buy-in for projects. That's how you really get to learn how the business is operating and what you can do to actually affect change instead of, again, just going back to, you know, becoming that service bureau. Like if you don't, if you're not out there talking to people, and that's one of the things I actually really liked about RevOps too, was it exposed me to a lot of cross-functional areas where I felt like I could really engage and develop those relationships because I do like working with people. So Those are perfect points. Thank you. I have two final questions for you. The first is, what advice would you have for someone who's looking to get into a revenue operations role? If you're coming in from an outside function, I think demonstrating that, one, again, you have that initiative to be like, hey, you're, you're just always, always want to be learning. Because I think you run into some instances where you get people into RevOps and like, wow, this is overwhelming. Like, I, you know, there's too much complexity here. So you need someone who's really keen on, I'm going to learn and I'm going to, you know, there might be, it might be overwhelming, but like, I want to learn. And then two, because people come from different areas of the business frequently into RevOps, there's always some value that that person can bring right off the bat where they're going to be an expert. And that's usually a good way to give them their first taste of like, hey, here's some good projects for you. Because you know, you know, again, going back to we have a, you know, someone who just joined from sales development. They know sales development. They've, they've lived that. So we can help them with the, you know, learning the RevOps, learning Salesforce, whatever. But they can actually be a big help right off the bat just by knowing like, hey, I know the pain of what they went through. And now let me really try to understand what, what we can do to solve those pain points. You know, one, I'd recommend you be very curious. And then two, tie it to your existing skill set because there's always something in RevOps that is, you know, from your previous background that's probably relevant in RevOps. Yeah, I like that perspective. I've heard an example with CS Ops, which is still relatively new compared to marketing and sales, that if you've been a CSM, you've actually, you know, played the role, been on the front lines, and you move into that role, you bring a lot of yep. rich information and insight into what it really takes to be successful with the customer. So that's a great starting point because you already walked in those shoes and can better understand how to set up everything in service of the CSMs on the front line. So it makes yep. sense. And then you can learn, you know, you learn the rest. Right. Yeah. No, it's, there, there's enough resources. 
there's enough people who've been around a while that can really help you. And, and there's no better learning than actually doing a project to help learn the system. Like, and that's what I try to do with my analysts is really tailor their learning experience around projects because that's when it sticks. Then it's like, okay, I see how this is relevant. And final question, who in the world of operations would you most like to take to lunch? So uh, yeah, admittedly, I probably could be a little more active in the ops community, but I, I've worked with a lot of really, really good coworkers. You know, just, just the people I've worked with in the past, I think would be, you know, I, I always enjoy getting together and telling, telling old war stories about uh, our past experiences. Like, wow, well, that was really stupid the way we set that up. So yeah, I always enjoy connecting with old colleagues. It'd be dreamy to do that again, isn't it? I think, I think we're getting close to where we can actually have real lunch together. Yeah, yeah, no, I, uh, yeah, no, I, I still haven't met any of my team in person, so, but uh, I'm hoping in the very near future. Well, let's hope you can actually have that lunch with them. That would be terrific. Yeah. Well, thank you, Chris. This was really, really insightful. I appreciate you sharing your journey and everything you've got set up there at CB Insights. Yeah, no, my pleasure. Thanks so much. The Opstars podcast is brought to you by Lean Data. To find out more about us and our suite of Salesforce native products for marketing, sales, and revenue operations, head to leandata.com. And then make sure to search for Opstars in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Opstars and Lean Data, thanks for listening.